Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dairy to Wealth podcast. Uh, today, we will have a great conversation um, with Dr. Trevor DeVries about automated milking systems and also behavior of dairy cattle. So, Dr. Trevor, thank you very much for taking the time and participating in this podcast. Thank you for the invite. So, um, Dr. Trevor Viz is a professor in the Department of Animal Bioscience and Canada Research Chair in Dairy Cattle Behavior and Welfare. And today we will we will touch on topics like robotic milking systems, cow's personality traits, and sensor-based technologies. So, Trevor, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your your story, your background, and why you decided to focus on these topics: AMS, nutrition, behavior, and welfare in in dairy cattle? Yeah, I, uh, good good question. Um, so, I've been involved in dairy research for. I guess going back to my graduate studies over 20 years now, um, grew up in British Columbia, went to school there, uh, my undergraduate program and graduate school. And when I was in graduate school, my research started off in, in nutrition of dairy cows and then was married with uh, studying the behavior of dairy cows. And that came to, together in my PhD work. And um, that really formed the basis of kind of what my research program looked like from, from there on in. And so uh, I started a position with the University of Guelph in 2007. And, and from that time, I've largely built my research program on, yeah, the, that intersection between cow behavior and nutrition, nutritional management, amongst other things. One of the specific focuses within that has been on robotic milking and or automated milking. And that came largely because of in and around that time period, we started to see a, a huge growth in the amount of robotic milking in Canada. And then also, I was located at a, a satellite campus of the University of Guelph at the time, and we actually got at that time the first um, uh, robotic milking unit on a research farm in 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 Canada, uh, a university research farm, and so that was also an onus to to start building research in that area and looking at challenges associated with that, but then also opportunities when it came to management, housing, and nutrition uh, with those systems as well. That's great. Yeah, that's very interesting and. The first, the first part of the, during the first part of this podcast, our first, our first topic is going to be robotic milking systems, and like you mentioned, this is being largely implemented in dairy farming. Um, but we also know that there are some challenges around it, right? So, could you explain to us? Uh, you already mentioned a little bit, but why these uh, robotic milking systems are so important, and what are the challenges with this technology? Yeah, I, again, the. the the importance, I would say, is that they're becoming a, a very large or have become a very large um, part of our dairy industry, uh, not just in Canada, but globally. Uh, we're seeing growth in, in the adoption of robotic milking. And Canada specifically, we go back 10, 15 years, and there's only a couple percentage of dairy farmers in Canada milking with robots. Today, our, our best estimates would probably put us um, at closer to 20% of, of farms in Canada milking with robots, uh, maybe even a little bit higher. And 
with that has come, obviously, as I mentioned before, some challenges in terms of, yeah, it is a change in management from, from many perspectives. And so trying to understand some of the challenges associated with that. We did a study already almost eight years ago, surveying a large proportion of producers who had switched to automated milking to try to understand some of the challenges, but also opportunities that they saw. And we were able to gain a lot of insights into some of the benefits uh, specifically related to quality of life of producers. That's a big reason why dairy producers in Canada, particularly what we've kind of classified as our more small to medium-sized farms, they really see that owner-operator type farms benefiting from that technology adoption. And then even from a cow's perspective, the dairy producers in that survey actually rated the quality of life changes for their cows just as high as their own quality of life. And so they definitely see a benefit from their cow's perspective. And for the most part, our, our robotic milking producers have seen increases in milk production, better health uh, in their cows, even reproduction and, and, and other things. And so definitely opportunities there. Doesn't mean that it works perfectly all the time. No, not necessarily, right? And there are challenges in terms of uh, these things too. Uh, when we think about robotic milking, the, the keystone or the cornerstone to that is voluntary milking, right? The, we're no longer bringing the cows to a milking parlor or bringing the units to the cow. The cow goes to the milking unit herself. And so in that case, if there's something that detracts from that, then that becomes a challenge. So if our cows aren't willing to go to the milking robot, if that's housing related, if that's health related, that can be a challenge for us. And we've done research on that. We know that lameness can be a problem for dairy producers and even a bigger problem for robotic milking producers because those cows are sore they don't want to necessarily walk and as a result of that they don't necessarily want to go to a milking robot and so they become a fetch cow and become more problematic so those are things that yeah we've had to deal with and and we've done research on and we have opportunities there as well nutrition's another one again we we use uh, a little bit of feed in the robot to potentially entice the cows to that robot. Uh, but in doing that, we also, yeah, take some feed out of the feed that would have normally been in the feed bunk for the cows. And so it changes the way that we think about nutritional management in these systems as well. Okay, yeah. So you mentioned about two important topics related to robotic milking systems. Uh, one is the adaptation of cows and the other one is nutrition. We're, we're going to talk a little bit more about it. I know that you have some research focusing on this topic. So uh, I believe that one of the big challenges is uh, cows adapting to the robots, right? And I know that you have some projects aiming to smooth this transition to robotic mil milking. So could you tell us a little bit uh about what you learned so far with this research? Yeah, and 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 again, we're we're I'd say scratching the surface on some of this stuff. Um, uh, specifically, trying to look at yeah ways that we can improve the adaptability of cows, particularly naive cows, right, who have never been on the robot before, and and make it easier for them to understand um, yeah how to milk, uh, how to go to the robot, how to uh, how to how to milk, so to speak, um, and then also make it a positive experience for them, so that then, um, in a way, they get positively reinforced, and uh, they're they're going to learn that uh, much easier. And so, we've just started actually a series of projects looking at 
how those cows adapt and then how that relates to the individual behavior of the cows or, or the personality of the cows. And I know we'll talk a little bit about that in a few moments. Uh, and then also how that relates to, yeah, just different kind of exposures uh, prior to actually going into the robot. So whether or not we can acclimate those cows uh, to the robot based on on different protocols, say, and 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 whether or not that has benefits. And, and some of our preliminary work would suggest that, yeah, we do have an opportunity there. Their producers have been doing this. However, there's not really a lot of good data to date on what is kind of the best method and what's optimal from from that cow's perspective. Yeah, no, that's great that um, you're looking at this strategy and creating kind of a protocol or the best way um, to introduce the cows to these systems. And well, uh, uh, what about the nutrition of their cows? So uh, what aspects of the diet formulation are relevant for producers, veterinarians and consultants using AMS? AMS? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, a, again, a, it's a big question because as I mentioned before, when we think about nutrition, we used to, at least, right, up till when we started using robots, we thought we had nutrition to some degree figured out, right? We put together a total mixed ration. We knew the requirements of the animals and we put it all together in one thing. And as long as we can manage that feed well at the bunk, right, uh, and and the environment well, the cows would eat it well, and the cows would get everything that they need. The challenge with the robots is that, yeah, we take a proportion of that diet out and we give it to the cows and the robot. And so ensuring that the cow gets the amount she needs and eats the proportion of feed that she needs, both from the robot as well as the feed bunk, becomes a uh, a bigger question for us. I think where we where we got into trouble early on with robotic milking was thinking about those two feeds, the feed that we provided in the robot and then the feed that we provided at the feed bunk as two separate things. But rather, and I think where the thought has gone in the industry and in the feed industry is that, yeah, they're not, they're part of one diet, right? And if we continue to think about it as one diet, then uh, things go a lot better. And we think about, we basically still do the same thing at the end of the day, we build one diet, and then we just figure out from that then how much feed we expect those cows to consume in the robot and how much feed at the feed bunk. And when we do that, we see very good results. We keep in mind, again, what the cow is kind of biologically uh, capable of, even from an eating behavior standpoint. We don't provide uh, too much feed in the robot that she's going to consume overconsume uh, there and then not eat enough feed at the feed bunk or, or cause the cow to eat less at the feed bunk, but rather understand the needs of the cows, how much total dry matter intake she's able to consume. And then we can think about, okay, well, based on her needs, her body size, her stage of lactation, her production level, can we then sequentially or incrementally feed to the overall needs of that animal and actually, and potentially increase, yeah, overall peak lactation in those cows and even persistency in those cows based on that that kind of feeding approach. Okay, yeah. Um, and I have a follow-up question because when we think about how disconcentrated these cows are eating with the robots, right? So this is an opportunity on feeding more precisely uh, a specific nutrients for individual cows with this robotic system, yeah. like uh, depending on the type of the cow or the stage of lactation or, you know, 
using yeah. more variables to to control and to, to precisely feed the cows. Yeah, and as I was just saying, I think there there are opportunities there, and and we've traditionally done that in these systems where we will feed cows on a what we call a feed table. So we'll we'll allocate different amounts of feed at the robot based on the overall production level of the cows in their stage of lactation. And and again, it's not foolproof, so to speak, in that we can't guarantee always that the cow is going to go as much as we want or eat all the feed that's put in front of her. And so there's still work to be done. Um, we do still have some evidence that, yeah, there are probably opportunities when we can do that and we can ensure that the cow does get more nutrients there. She's going to continue to eat lots at the feed bunk and overall be able to then maximize her nutrient consumption and 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 our production the other side of it is can we actually be even more strategic at different time points to like what you're saying right in terms of being more precise and and there's great potential benefits there right i, I think we can think of um being more accurate in terms of the diet consumed relative to the requirements we have less waste then right we have more efficient production which could mean less right? Less nutrient excretion, less gas excretion, right? Excess gas excretion, all those kind of things, which which might be positive things for the industry. On the flip side as well, we can also then think about it from a health perspective too, right? If we do a better job targeting nutrients into those animals, particularly like in the post-fresh period, then that can have some health dividends for those animals too. And that's another area that we've been working on, actually kind of both ends of lactation, uh early on in lactation are we able to right strategically maybe get more energy into cows when they need it um and we've done a couple studies on that now looking at different types of uh energy supplements uh particularly um what i would say as non-starch uh, sources of energy right so starch again makes up a significant proportion of the diet. However, in our early lactation cows, we know that if they consume too much too quick, that can have negative effects on the rumen environment, that can even have negative uh, depressive effects on intake in those cows. And so thinking about other alternative energy sources, sugar sources, other uh, products that are going to lead to increased levels of gluconeogenesis in that cow, uh, we have had some success with. And so when we're going to continue to, uh, to to do some of that work. On the flip side, we've also looked at the end of lactation too as an opportunity from that kind of precision standpoint too, where again, we were able to tailor even the, the end of the lactation of the cow a little bit from a, from a dry off standpoint to do a better job in terms of lessening uh, the milk yield of the cows at the point of dry off, which can actually have, again, positive impacts from a welfare and health standpoint in those cows as they enter the dry period and and move towards their next lactation too. Yeah, that's that that approach looking at two the two ends of the the these cows it's, it's very interesting. Great. Thank you very much for sharing this information and well, let's jump to the second topic and Actually, for me, it's the most interesting and, and uh, my favorite one. So we're going to talk a little bit about personality traits and behavioral profile, right? I think you, call, you can call it um, behavioral profile as well. So could you give us an overview of your research on cause personality traits? 
Yeah. Um, again, it's it, it's to me too. It's a, a very interesting kind of topic area, and and part of this stems from work that well, obviously, some of my interest in this comes from work that we've done over the years, but then also other research groups really identifying that. Yeah, we we often do these studies, and and we might impose different treatments where we see say differential at a kind of a group level differential responses of of cows say on one in one situation versus another but then when we look at those populations of cows what we often see is that there's still a lot of variation between animals in terms of responses um and and some of that's even physiological differences right so we'll see differences in production and health and even if we're looking at physiological outcomes or, or um, uh, metrics, uh, blood measures, all these kind of things, we'll often see a lot of cow-to-cow -cow variation. And we see the same thing on the behavioral side of things too, where we know that nah, not every cow behaves the same way, right? Some cows eat in different ways. Some cows spend their time in different ways. Some cows socially interact with each other and even with humans in different ways. And again, in humans, we call that our personality, right? You and I have different personalities, right? That based on, yeah, just um, the way that we do things, right? And the way that we interact with situations and other people and, right? So again, for better or worse, we, we labeled kind of similarly in cows, right? Like the individual behavioral profile or the individualness of that cow, so to speak, we we also kind of ascribe a personality. And what we mean by that is, yeah, there are some cows that, for example, are going to be more or less fearful of humans, right? And so we could describe that as kind of the a trait of, of that cow. Or some cows are, and maybe the flip side of that, right? Some cows are more social. Some cows are more uh, explorative in their in their uh, behavior or um, more bold, right? And, and then again, you can flip it the other way and say, okay, some cows are actually, yeah, they're less explorative, they're more shy, right? And so we're trying to assess those things in cows and then use that information to then also determine how do they respond to different situations. And and so there's a variety of researchers that are working on this in in, in different kind of realms. Our specific focus has been uh, um, related to robotic milking again, where we're looking at, we've got these cows that I, where I started saying, we want them to voluntarily milk. Some cows readily do it all the time, some cows don't. And, and so the question is, what is it about the cow's behavior that might be driving that? Is it some of this individual kind of behavioral traits or profile that might be influencing uh, some of these differences that we see. And so that's been a, a focus of ours in the last couple of years, and we're going to continue to work on is, is trying to understand a little bit about what might be driving, yeah, some of the differential responses that we see in cows. And, and, and then also, where does some of that difference come from, right? So you and I, again, we can think that, yeah, maybe we're just like our parents, right? Uh, our parents behave yeah. this way, so do we. And, and, many cases that it is that right that's that's that that yes. nurture kind of aspect of our life right where it's like there's things that are impressed upon you when you're young or growing up that are going to carry through right and and the our behavior is like that so there might be that element and then there might be right 
also potentially parental influence genetics right so right there might be something in our genetics that are are driving some of those behavioral differences too and we see the same thing in cows too where we know that there is some heritability from a genetic standpoint of some traits uh, for example like temperament right which is could be described as um, part of the personality of the of the cow right and so some of that um, uh, some of that might be genetic as well and and so that's also another aspect that we're we're delving into as well okay yeah so you already mentioned about some profile of cows right some are more shy another are more curious um, and I was wondering here, uh, could you explain to us how do you access the personality? I, I have seen some of these tests at the research station. So but could you could you walk us through the step by step of the personality tests, like how it looks like? Yeah, um, again, very good question. And, and it's not a simple thing, right? Like so. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll use the human example, right, where it's like if you and I are talking, like I can learn about yourself or someone else and, and what your personality might be just by talking to you and asking you some questions. Right. So cows, we can't do that. So, right. Um, we can ask some questions. They're not going to answer us. So we have to uh, pose kind of questions in different ways. And, and the way that we do that is we put the cows in situations where then we can look at their behavioral response. And commonly, and again, there's different ways that people have done this, but our model is based on some other research that's been done over the years. And, and we do uh, what we call a combined arena test. And, and there's typically three aspects to that. We take a cow, and we'll we'll move her into a space and uh, an arena we'll call it, but basically a pen that the cow typically really isn't used to or familiar with. So kind of a novel area that the cow hasn't really spent much time in. And so the idea there is we put her in there for like 10 minutes and and just see what she does, right? So does that cow, we put her in that pen, does she stand still and just stand there the whole time? Or does she run around in circles or does she go to every corner and sniff the corner or does she stand pointing towards where her home pen was, where she came from in the barn? Right. And so we look at basically what the cow does under that scenario. We do the same thing then we, we keep her in that pen and then we add an element of novelty. So something that the cow, again, is not used to seeing or interacting with. So what we call that is a novel object test. So we put something in the pen that the cow, again, has never seen before. So we've used different objects. We've used uh, a, a, a tote, like a, a, a bin, like a plastic bin. We've used a yoga ball. We've used a chair, like a camp chair, and, and basically put that in the center of the pen, right? So something that's typically bright colored. Again, cows see colors in different kind of spectrums in us, but something, again, that not a color that they would typically interact with or have, have seen before. And then also an object or a shape kind of that, again, wouldn't be part of their normal um, uh, experience. And so the idea there, again, is to see, OK, what does the cow do with that? Does the cow go up to it? Does, does she sniff it? Does she push it with her head or does she stay away from it? Right. Act fearful and shy and, and right. Stay to the outside and, and not interact or show any kind of inquisit uh, inquisitiveness or anything like that towards that object. 
And then the third part, which is kind of similar, but this is adding in a human element, is we actually put a what we call a novel person into the pen. And so that person would be someone who the cow has never really interacted with, as to the best of our knowledge, that that person would be unknown to the cow. And again, we, we typically put that person in uh, coveralls that the cows aren't used to, so not the typical coveralls that the farm workers would have on. So a different color of coveralls that, again, the cows wouldn't be used to, and then a different person, right? So that the, the cows, again, were not used to that person. And then same thing, really watch for 10 minutes and, and record. We video record all these things and look at what the cows do in those situations. All these videos then get watched and we score all these things. We look at how much time the cow spends moving, where she spends time in the pen, how much time does she spend with the novel object or the person, all kinds of behaviors that we score. And then we subject those scores or those behavioral scores or, or, or measures to an analysis, what we call a principal component analysis, which basically in, in kind of most simple terms, basically takes or, or finds behaviors that are in common and kind of clusters them together. And so for every cow, then we can see where her kind of behaviors kind of cluster together, right? Does, does she show herself to be more active and, and explorative, right? So I'm using these kind of terms I was mentioning before. Or does she tend to be more shy and inactive, or does she stay very reserved and not move very much? Um, when we think about the the person, is she is she displaying a lot of behavior of movement in and around the person, or is or is that behavior more shy or or fearful in terms of staying away from the person? Right. So, based on that, we're basically able to kind of lump together like behaviors, and then. Put these labels on them, these trait labels. Now, again, they're not perfect, but they're really kind of um, uh, just ascribing some kind of trait to the the types of behaviors that we're seeing those cows doing. And then what we've done in our research is then look at how those kind of different traits then also correlate to the overall behavioral patterns of the cows, right? So for example, when we put a cow on a robot, is the cow that likes to go to the robot a lot and, and is easy to train on the robot, is she a more, as would be predicted, more active cow, more explorative cow versus a cow who we might describe as being more fearful or shy? Do those cows stay away from the robot, for example, right? Hope that makes yes, sense. No, that, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that makes lots of sense and it's actually pretty cool. So we started the episode talking about robotic milking systems and some challenges, right? And now we're we jump into personalities and you already started talking about it, but um so we can assume that the cow's personality is related to to the cow's behavior in robotic milking mm -hmm. systems, yeah, or with adaptation to the systems and what do you think about this topic? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's where we're really trying to go. So we're just kind of scratching the surface here. We've, we've done a couple studies now on this, and the idea is that we're going to have more coming. But at least in our initial studies that we've done, we've we have found or detected some associations between these behavioral profiles, these personality profiles, and 
the performance of the cows on the robot. And one of the very first studies we did, we were just simply looking at providing cows two levels of feed in the robot and um, a kind of allocation of, of feed allowance there. And one of the things that we wanted to determine is whether or not the amount of feed that the cows accessed in the robot was also then influenced by, say, the behavioral profile of that cow. And interestingly, what we found was that on a low level of feed allowance, it didn't really matter what the behavioral profile of the cow was. But when we gave the cows more feed allowance, there was a correlation by, whereby we saw that uh, the cows who were more fearful of, of uh, in that case, of a novel person, what we saw in those cows is that those cows necessar didn't necessarily uh, receive all the feed that they were supposed to receive in the robot, which would probably tell us a little bit about maybe their behavior going to the robot. Maybe they didn't visit as much, um, uh, as well as even their behavior in the robot, whereby uh, in the system we were using, the cow had to have her head down for the feed to be dispensed. And so if that cow is a bit more agitated and fearful in the robot and she's not putting her head down, the feed's not going to get dispensed for her and she might not get the full allocation. And so trying to understand, yeah, what influence that behavior has on the cow. Same thing goes with looking at cows adapting to robots for the first time. And, and so in another study, one of my stu students looked at how the cows who had never been on the robot before, how they adapted in the, in the first few days and then weeks following, um, after calving to 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 that uh, uh, robotic milking system, and probably as we would predict, the the cows who scored high for uh, the traits of boldness and activeness. Uh, so right, so you could think of again a cow that's a bit more active, moves more, also one that's more bold in terms of its its more right walking around looking at things right versus a more shy cow those cows seem to uh, demonstrate kind of better adaption to that robotic milking immediately after uh, calving in terms of yeah they 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 were having more frequent kind of voluntary visits and, and those kind of things uh, immediately after after being put on the robot so again um scratching the surface with these things but but really yeah um trying to understand how these things relate and then and then how do we use that information too right and that's kind of some of the next steps of part of this research too is what what we actually do with this sure yeah and and what what should we expect we what should we expect regarding irritability of the those personality traits like the next generations uh, should we expect the same uh, personality for the calves of the, that cow yeah, and that's I think that's kind of the, the what I was kind of alluding to in terms of our some of our next steps too, right? Because I think some listening to this podcast will think, well, that sounds all great, but that's very academic, and like who's going to go out there and score their cows and right and and manage cows differently based on their behavioral profile? And that's yeah, I would agree that that's not really the point of what we're trying to achieve with this, right? Um, can we maybe set up different management even early in life like that might shape the personality or the behavior of the animals for sure, right? And that goes back to what I said earlier 
like there's this nurture aspect, right? Where we know that early life experience, right, is going to shape you. We know that from a dietary standpoint, like dietary preferences, um, even kind of behavioral responses. Uh, we see that in humans. We see that in, in animals, right, where the these early life experiences can have these kind of longer negative or longer term impacts, both positive and negative. And so, again, this might be one of those opportunities where we can do those kind of things. There's other people working on whether or not, yeah, like exposure to calves, to automated milk feeders, whether or not that also benefits them as they go into maybe automated milking herds, right? So does technology introduction early on life carry over? Maybe. Um, so that's part of it. And then, yeah, like you mentioned too, and I think that's the other part of this is, yeah, how heritable, like what's the what's the, the the nature part of things in terms of can can we actually select for maybe from a genetic standpoint uh, animals that might be better suited to the robot based on their behavioral profile? And, and again, we've always, I mentioned earlier, like we've used a trait like temperament from a milking standpoint for, for years, right? And cows that are bad temperament we might remove from the herd we might call because yeah like they're just they just create problems and and so similarly we might start looking at some of these other types of traits behavioral traits too from a robotic milking standpoint and and be able to uh suggest that yeah they, there's there's a potential heritable component to some of these things too and and again just scratching the surface we just had a paper um uh, just published actually in, in journal uh, JDS Communications, looking at kind of the association between the behavioral profile of cows and their female offspring, right? So they're, they're heifer calves. And yeah, again, very preliminary work, but we detected some positive associations between the, the behavioral profiles of, of those two groups of animals. And so that would tell us that, yeah, there is something there and, and there is the potential then to maybe, yeah, use that from a genetic standpoint. And so, again, uh, where that goes, that's still ongoing, but but there is there is potential there for sure. That's great. So for everyone that's listening, make sure that you take a look on this <laughs> new paper on JGS Communications. Um, well, our, our, our last topic is going to be sensor-based monitoring devices and, well, still behavior, right? Yeah. So um, I was just wondering how you see physical activity and rumination monitors helping producers to make um, to make decisions for mature cows or, or calves? Yeah, that's... Um... Again, good question, broad question. We'll try, we'll try give a concise answer, I guess. The reality is like a lot of the technologies, and I, and I guess I'll relate it to robotic milking, like we've developed a lot of automated technologies for dairy farms to, to do a number of different things for us. And one of those is obviously time saving, um, right? And, 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 and then part of that is also then accuracy and precision of delivery of the management associated with those right so knowing that we as humans are prone to error and hopefully machines aren't so much right and technologies aren't so much so we see that with robotic milking some of that we've, we've seen with um some of these yeah automated technologies to behavioral monitoring technologies sensors uh a large proportion of which were actually initially developed for 
yeah, detecting changes in activity or behavior of animals to detect heat, right? So to improve heat detection for, from a reproductive management standpoint. And while they work for that, we also realize that cows' behavior changes in other circumstances too, right? And so cows will change their eating behavior, they'll change their rumination behavior, not only because they're coming into heat, but also uh, as they get sick, uh, for example, right? As an animal starts yeah. to get ill, they display sickness behavior. And part of that often is a decrease in intake, which couples with a decrease in time spent eating. You see rumination decrease. Actually, rumination is often even more sensitive than the eating behavior of cows because rumination almost is... Uh, not only can reduce in response to lesser intake in the cows, but I'll, but also will um, respond before that even drop because the cow systemically will stop ruminating as a way of conserving energy. And, and then that drop in rumination will actually lead to a drop in intake in the cows. And so for that reason, we see great benefit from a health management standpoint, particularly in transition cows, but also cows at different stages of lactation in terms of using their behavior and behavioral changes to yeah, detect those issues. And a lot of work in cows on that. Um, and, and also we see the same thing now with calves as well. Changes in, uh, again, quite a bit of work over the years and changes in drinking behavior of cows on calves, sorry, on automated milk feeders and um, more recently as well, using different automated tools for detecting behavioral changes, posture changes, activity changes in calves that again are gonna tell us about the health status of that calf. For example, um, uh, identifying calves that are uh, incurring uh, neonatal calf diarrhea or, or uh, respiratory disease. Um, and so lots of, yeah, I'd say lots of promise there uh, uh, and, and helping us make, I guess what I would say, earlier kind of interventions on those animals, right? So what they're allowing us to do is see smaller changes more accurately than what we could kind of visually. We still need to go often in any of these cases, go make clinical assessment of the animal, so to speak, right? But that might be earlier than what we traditionally would have if we relied solely on our kind of our human visual approach, right? So. Sure, I agree. Yeah. If we could anticipate any kind of disease or any any problem that the animal may have in the future, you can you can uh, perhaps work on an intervention or strategy and uh, make sure that performance of the cow or the consequences are not going to be too bad, right? Yeah. Um, Yes, and uh, you mentioned a little bit about feeding behavior of cows, and I know that you you have done lots of works on it um, in the past, and you're still you're still doing it. But could you could you just mention a little bit about the associations with feeding behavior and some and some perf and performance of lactating cows, uh, or perhaps the associations of feeding behavior and farms management? Yeah, no, again, uh, good question, big question, which I'll try to yeah uh squeeze down here um yeah at the end of the day and and uh when we think about dairy cows a lot of what the success in a dairy cow is driven by is is the the feed consumption of the cow right and so she needs to obviously eat a certain amount of feed to stay healthy and maintain herself 
But then also, if, if she's producing a certain level of milk, she needs to consume enough nutrients to sustain that level of milk production. And again, while um, while we look to in the industry trying to improve efficiencies and 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 make more milk, so to speak, with less feed, there's there is that possibility. At the end of the day, still the total amount of of milk consumed is going to be dictated by the total amount of nutrients that that the cow is consumed consuming, right? And and is going to be driven by that too. So, um, so I guess that's where the feeding behavior side comes into it because we know that the intake of the cow is inherently tied to that feeding behavior and that's why a lot of our research program has focused on that over the years simply looking at the time course of eating how much time cows spend eating how many meals they have per day whether the size of those the speed of consumption because all those things add up and contribute to the overall food consumption dry matter intake level of those cows and so we've been able to use that to understand differences in diets, dietary management on farm. But then kind of what you said, too, even from a farm management standpoint, and that's where the technology piece comes into it, too, nowadays, where we can monitor uh, eating behavior, for example, and rumination behavior. We can look at not only what individual cows are doing and changes, but then also even at a herd level, we make a change in feed or we change feeding management and suddenly we see the cows spend more time eating or less time or their rumination changes dramatically, we can use those changes in behavior then to assess the management changes, dietary changes that we're making on farm for positive, right, for, for better or worse, so to speak. And so, again, very powerful kind of tools when we have technology that helps us look at these behaviors and then use that for decision making on farm sure yes um and well just to just to finish this this last section and because uh, we're talking about behavior right uh, have you seen any different or any new technology that you think that's promising to improve i don't know profitability or productivity or sustainability of dairy farming, yeah. thinking about behavior, right? Monitoring yeah. behavior and making decisions, like you mentioned, right? Like helping make decisions. Yeah, yeah, there, there's there's a lot of kind of ongoing stuff in this in this realm. Like I said before, a lot of the technology that's came out and, and is still on the market is what we call kind of wearable technology, right? Sensor-based where cows are either wearing neck collars or ear tags or something on their leg, right? That like like we wear on our watch or whatever it is, right? In terms of tracking behavior, there's other technologies now um, and probably the most kind of one that I think probably has a much potential is is what we call a computer vision-based, right? Uh, te technology where we're looking at basically image capture, right? Video image capture of cow behavior um, and amongst other things and, and using advanced mathematical uh, um, uh, uh, modeling, uh, artificial intelligence, I guess you could say type modeling to uh, actually look at and predict kind of the behavioral patterns of those cows and, and based on uh, those models, right, help us to, yeah, again, identify variances, deviations from normal or from what should be happening. And we see that again, 
We can do that from an individual cow behavior standpoint, but we can also do that from a farm management standpoint. So there's systems out there that not only look at what the cows are doing, but then also what yeah, the people are doing on farm. Are they are they feeding the cows on time? Is there still feed available to the cows all the time? Is milking occurring properly, right? Is is are cows being attached by milkers in the times that they're supposed to be, right? And so uh, just like other systems out there that are getting more and more automated, we're doing the same thing with with our dairies as well. And and some of this technology is very helpful for that as well. Sure, yeah, all of this, uh, of this new technologies and uh, the potential of all these, uh, these new tools is very, it's very exciting. Uh, well, Trevor, um, this is the end of this episode and thank you again. Thank you mm-hmm. very much for taking the time to, to participate and thank you for sharing all this, this great information about your research program. Yeah, no problem. Happy to happy to have this discussion here with you today. And yeah, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Okay, great. And I would like to thank everyone that listened to us. Um, I hope you like it. And please share with your network and help us promoting uh, Dairy to Wealth. Thank you very much.